Live from London, this is The Sunday Late Show with Shaniqua edwards Hay, and you are listening live. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got my name on the jingle now. So not generic anymore. I've gone up in the world. Good evening and welcome to The Sunday Late Show with me, Shaniqua edwards Hay. County lines, gangs, our children. I'm interested, what's going on? I'm joined by Tony Saggers and Dwayne Miners as we discuss all of this. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TT Radio. Yes, I am back. It feels weird, it's a Sunday. For those of you who don't know, I used to have a show on a Monday evening. Now I'm doing Sunday, first Sunday of every month. So, welcome. It's nice to have you all with me today. So, a bit of an update on life, actually, before I begin. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Shaniqua edwards Haid. I, I'm Shaniqua edwards Haid. I love Stormzy, apple juice, and I love teaching. I don't know if teaching is a bit of a cliche answer to say, so I'm going to say I love a bit of dancing, maybe not the greatest at it. And a bit of an update on my life. So I was a primary school teacher, or I am a primary school teacher. I was working in a Catholic mainstream school. I have just moved over to a primary pupil referral unit. Uh, And for those of you who don't know what a pupil referral unit is prus or prus as we call them prus are a type of school that caters for children who aren't able to attend a mainstream school and so the aim is usually to reintegrate these children back into mainstream education as soon as possible so that has been my life at the moment i've also become a school governor um as well as starting an mpq it's quite a few things it feels like there's a lot going on at the moment um so that is a bit about me And so our topic today is county lines, gangs, and our children. And I feel like ever since I've started telling people I work at a pupil referral unit, I hear a lot of, oh my gosh, they start talking about county lines. Now, county lines is an issue. And actually just even Googling, some of the headlines I've seen is rising school exclusions linked to soaring numbers recruited by county line dealers. County lines, drug gangs recruit excluded school children. And actually, there's even a bit that says pupil referral units appear to be fertile ground for recruitment and continuing involvement in a variety of negative activities, including county lines. So it started to make me think. And I felt like as teachers, as educators, this is something that we should really know more about. Um, It's something that I actually want to hear firsthand from people who I'm going to say experts in this field who deal with this on the regular, like what is going on? How young are these children involved? Should we be worried? Um, So I am so, so happy today to be joined by Dwayne Miners and I've got Tony Saggers. So I'll let them introduce themselves in a bit, but I'm going to just start off by just saying Dwayne Miners is a gangs worker in a London council integrated gangs unit. So basically he's a 
gangs expert strategist. And then we've got Tony Saggers. And I believe he was like the former head of drugs, threat and intelligence at the National Crime Agency. And I've heard on the grapevine that he was a former teacher. So you can let us know a bit about that. And I, I want him to tell us a bit about his current job. Um, and I've brought these um, people along today because earlier this year, the government pledged to tackle the problem of county lines, drug gangs, um, but targeting existing gangs wouldn't be enough, the experts were saying. And instead they said, we need, to, we need early intervention and teachers have a crucial role to play. But as teachers, do we, do we even know enough? And I think this is where we need to step back and actually listen. So I'm gonna start off and ask Dwayne to introduce himself. I'd like to know, Tell us a bit about yourself and also your job. And, you know, what qualifies you to be here today? Uh, you are definitely qualified, but um, please explain. And then I'll go over to Tony, if that's okay. Please. Good evening, Shaniqua. Good evening, all the listeners. Good, good evening, Dwayne. Uh, well, obviously, I'm Dwayne Miners, like Shaniqua told me. Told you, sorry. I work for Haringey Council, IGU, which is integrated, integrated gang unit. So mm -hmm. what we do is we get young people from the age of 14 to 24 out of gangs as safely as possible. But in honesty, sometimes we have had definitely had clients that are over 24. And I think the oldest client I probably had is 41. Okay. So we, we, are, we go for referral, referrals that could be from uh, probation, police, uh, even some, a, young, a young person with a mum or a parent or guardian. Mm -hmm. I think your child could be at risk of being a gang, could make a referral to us, and then we get wow. them at gangs as safe as possible. About myself, yeah. I, uh, I'm originally from, from Tottenham. Woo. Uh, obviously, I work in Hamilton, so I'm, I'm very familiar with my surroundings. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm over 40, I'll just leave that there. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, and I know a bit about what, what's going on. I've been working with doing youth work since I was for the, I think for the past maybe I think, eighteen years now, and I've got into youth work in terms of gangs and like that over the past five years. Uh, okay. Really about it, to be honest with you. Uh, lots of experience, a wealth of experience, and actually, um, Haringey, there's a lot going on in Haringey. So actually, I can imagine you've got a lot of experience. Um, and it's very with this topic, actually. So very happy to have you here. And I'll go over to Tony. Hi, good evening, Shaniqua. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good evening, Tony. Hi, good evening. First thing to say is don't worry about being over 40 because I'm over 50. So <laughs> it, it, it doesn't get too bad, trust me. Uh, really, really good to be here. Um, thank you for the invitation. I'm only ever a teacher of adults in professional capacities, so not ever actually been a teacher in schools. Okay. Um, but I do I do work with teachers um, in schools mm -hmm. for dedicated safeguarding leads. My in a nutshell, my background was 30 years in law enforcement. I was a police officer in the late 80s, um, and then went through the national agencies of the Serious Organised Crime Agency, uh, National Crime Agency, and and as you said earlier, um, ended up as Head of Drugs, Threat and Intelligence, which was basically a co-lead role with a police chief um, and the strategy, response and partnerships for the UK drug situation. But parallel wow. to that, which mm -hmm. I think the main reason I've asked me here, um, was one of the first national co-leads for County Lines before 
the, the higher level resource was committed to it. So we were briefing ministers, setting up working groups uh, and using our backgrounds in targeting um, serious and organized crime, gang crime, drug crime, uh, but, but obviously reflecting on the exploitative nature of what County Lines has, has really um, been doing in the last sort of 10 or 15 years of its evolution. And yeah. focusing on the, the criminal exploitation of people, not least children, and that of course mm-hmm. links, in, links into gangs. So that's, that's why I'm here tonight. In the last five years, um, I've been out of that environment working independently, but, but with all the other people that have got a real stakehold in this situation. So housing, local authorities, police, probation services, uh, charities, education sector. Uh, and, and as much as contributing to that, learning from it as well, which I think is so important. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Wow. Wow. There's so much um, experience here already. So thank you so much. You guys are going to be so useful and informative. And I just think this is what I want this space to be. Like people are going to be listening back. So uh, please just be as honest as you can. And I'm just going to take it back to, um, you know, the definition firstly of a gang and of county lines. So, you know, some of you might be like, what is county lines? I'm hearing it, but what actually is it? So from what I know, county lines is a form of criminal exploitation where we've got gangs persuading, coercing, forcing children and young people to store drugs and money and or transport them to suburban areas, market towns and coastal coastal towns. And it can happen in any part of the UK and it's against the law and it's, a, it's considered now a form of child abuse. And now I believe we say gangs are involved. So I wanted to know what is a gang? And I managed to get um, a PCO, so a police officer, um, to give us some information as well. Uh, it's a Harangay police officer, he doesn't like me saying, uh, but he just didn't want to be recorded, but he gave me all this information and he'd like to share it because he thinks it's so, so important with what is going on. So every now and then I might just pop in with a comment from what this police officer said. And I think that's really important to get another angle of what is going on. So can I ask Tony and then Dwayne, what is a gang to you? and what do you know that are go- what's going on with gangs at the moment in time? At this moment in time. Okay, well, I'll do the formal bit then because I'm obviously um, I'm not the one of the service that's walk- working front line with gangs. So I'll, yeah. if I do the formal bit, several definitions. Uh, you've <laughs> sort of covered it generally. The one that I think people tend to lean towards is from a report called "Dying to Belong" in 2009, and sadly the title sort of reflects the emphasis in the report. Um, yeah. But, but that definition, uh, which pops up probably in, in just about every area that, that I'm working, refers to a relatively durable, predominantly street-based group of young people. So that's the sort yeah. of the opening gambit of that. Um, yeah. That see themselves and are seen by others as a discernible group. So they've got a proper identity as a, as a group of young people together. Um, sadly, then we move on to engage in a range of criminal activity and violence, because when we talk about gangs, Unfortunately, we're not talking about youth clubs. We're not talking about groups of young children who sit and chat in the evenings in a a recreation ground, um, (laughs) who identify or lay claim over territory. Very often the problem in the the cities, not not just London uh, and not (laughs) just the urban cities, but territorial disputes, um, have some form of identifying structural feature 
uh, I think that's getting younger and, and more chaotic as time goes by. Uh, yeah. In terms of the, the age of, of who we would perhaps call the hierarchy. And the final part of that definition is that they are in conflict with other similar gangs. And, and that's the really sad part about it. And I've, and, and I've not worked in, in central London at street level, but working around the country, and, and not yeah. least we'll, we'll come on to talk, I'm sure, about music, but it's almost as if you're not in a gang in some locations unless you are actually feuding and fighting with another group. Mm. Um, so for me, that's, that's a definition that I think serves the general conversation quite well. That does, that does. Oh my gosh. So Dwayne, can you add on, please? Uh, I think you both kind of really covered it. But <laughs> I, I, I just put it in the most basic terms. Like whenever I do my talks and everything, and people ask what a gang is, I normally just tell them a gang is a definition of a gang is basically a group of people who participate in the criminal activity. And it's <laughs> basic as that, because you can get a group of people who they say they're a gang, we're a gang, but if they're not doing nothing criminal, they're just a group of people. As much as they say they're a gang, they're not really. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's, it's all about what they're doing, and criminal activity is part of it. But, uh, yeah, no. that's, that's it, basically. No, that's so true. And it's so interesting because a gang is now such a negative term. It's kind of like that's what we think of already when we think of a gang. I remember guys being in primary school and I was part of a girl gang, but our girl gang was just a singing group. So it's so different now when we use the word gang. It's so negative. So actually, I'm going to ask you both, and please feel free to, you know, chime in and speak at any moment. But um, I wanted to know, how do you think children are affected? Are children involved in gangs? How young are children being involved in gangs? Because I think that's an important aspect to think of. A lot of us educators, sometimes we have a child in our class, but we only see them when they're in our class. So actually, you know, you wouldn't think little Timmy is involved in stuff, but actually anyone can be involved in anything. And so when I asked this PCSO, I'm just going to mention what he said when I asked, how are children affected and are they in gangs? And he said, children in gangs, from my experience, are trapped. I see two sides of the youth I, dis youths I deal with. When they are with their gang, they are confrontational, confident and aggressive. When we get them away from the gang, even when they are arrested or spoken to at home, they are quiet, respectful and cooperative generally not really aggressive. It shows a front they have to put on. Children that have opened up to me about being in a gang all say they don't want to be in a gang, but have to because of where they live or sometimes because of where their school is, etc. They're often forced to commit crime, robberies, or to sell or carry drugs on them. Some gangs have gang initiations where you have to attack a rival gang or carry out some kind of crime. There was a time when in this PCO's area, um, they said that you had to attack a police officer to join the gang, but thankfully this was short-lived. And he goes on to say, I found children as young as eight um, in possession of 156 wraps of crack cocaine. Generally, older gang members will target children between 11 to 16 to transport or hold drugs as they are less likely to get stopped by the police. I've had to arrest quite a few 12 to 15 year olds carrying drugs or weapons. Now, this is from someone firsthand. Is this shocking to you, Dwayne? Uh, no, unfortunately it's not. Uh, what we tend to do in in my area, we tend to like call them, when they're under 13, we tend to call them gang members and more call them victims. Mm. They're being exploited, so it's more a victim thing. But obviously there is one, some that are gang members, but we try to more think of them as victims because they're, they're so young, they don't really know much, and some somebody's really taking advantage of them. But yes, there is young people that are involved in gangs. 
Wow. Are you seeing them quite young then, these victims? You see them quite, like, I feel like people tend to think of the age 15, but actually just reading that and hearing about an eight-year-old, you know, that's mad. That's that's really mad. They're under 10, but yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, I do. Like, uh, to be fair, 15 is quite old, to be honest with you, because they do target oh, really? them quite young. To They, they start uh, getting involved in the gangs quite young, getting them to do minor little things, maybe from maybe 10, 11 years old. And that's just maybe, it could be something so basic, I just hold on to this for me, because they're trying to get them, like, try criminal exploitation, so they're trying to get them involved in the gangs. So by the time they're around 11, 12, they're on to more bigger things, and like, it could be, end up being county lines, or just holding drugs or weapons for them. Wow, that's so mad, that's so mad. Tony, is this shocking to you? Um, sadly, no. Um, unfortunately, a career sort of parallel to the work that Dwayne's doing doesn't, really leave much space for shock yeah um, it, it saddens me greatly and, and Dwayne may have mm-hmm. sort of seen what I'm about to say actually I, I do quite a lot of work with dedicated safeguarding leads in schools and, and mm-hmm. the, the education sector and more than a few times I've had discussions about uh, the child that's acting out as being in a gang but when they're not so we, even at primary school age um, having the wrong sort of access to social media, you know, the, 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 the settings not being locked down, becoming fascinated with the gangs that are on YouTube and other social media channels, going into school with, with a, a very small knife, um, wanting to feel like they were part of something when in actual fact they weren't members of anything, um, acting out uh, by having a, a, what we would call a burner phone, uh, used, yeah. to, used within drug supply, but the, the, the phone was not found to even have a battery in it but they wanted it in their possession so they looked like they were part of something oh, wow and, and I, I think for me what's happened over time and i think social media has condensed people's access and, and sort of awareness of this is that it's become normalized we used to use the word glamorized quite a lot to describe what we're talking about this evening mm-hmm. and, and, and sadly i think glamour is gone i think it's now becoming more dangerously normalized than what we're used to seeing. And what normal does is put it into the mindsets of all children, potentially, whereas glamour would attract a certain child's mindset. And now, unfortunately, we're at saturation level. So I think you've got that, exactly what Dwayne has described um, from his direct experience of very young people getting swept into the gang situation. But we've also got um, very young children not really understanding what it is yet, not being touched by the tentacles of it directly but even starting yeah. to act out being a part of something, even before they're even old enough or in the right location to be to become involved. So mad. It's sure you're so right. I think that's what that is what's happening. And I feel like all children, any child can be targeted, but actually, um, from reading up, it's a lot of vulnerable children that are being targeted. And I can see just from research that pupil <laughs> referral units are a place where a lot of gang members wait around, they target children from there. Um, And actually just reading up on another statistic, an analysis of around 100 teenage boys caught up in county lines revealed that all had been permanently excluded or spent time in a pupil referral unit. Um, Nine in 10 boys held in youth offender institutions, including Feltham, have been excluded from school, making exclusion the most common factor among locked up male youth and more than twice as significant as growing up in care. Now, why are why why do I keep hearing about people referral units, Dwayne? 
Is this has this is this a common thing? Has this been mentioned to you before? I'll be honest with you, yeah. In terms of people referral units, I think that's a, that's an easy cop out to be honest with you because mm-hmm. in, in my in my experience, just like Tony was saying, it's it's become normalized and somewhat glamorized. Because if you look mm-hmm. at some of the things that we see on TV, like I don't want to say some, I don't want to call that the names of shows, but yeah, shows, we know it's show. We know two yeah. shows, but yeah. <laughs> Where I don't think. These are shows that are for entertainment. Don't get me wrong. I like watching them, but I'm yeah. over a certain age, and I think there's at a certain age, young people shouldn't be watching them. But I've heard, oh, did you watch that? Did you watch that? I'm thinking, wow, you shouldn't be watching that because you don't have the foresight to say this is just entertainment. You might think this is reality, and you know. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, it becomes like, oh, this is, oh yeah, it looks nice, it's it's fun, and they, and they want to do it. So going back to saying. It's people referral you. It's not necessarily because you can go to somebody like somewhere like uh, Great Yarmouth. Great Yarmouth will probably find some gangs there, and they're not mm-hmm. they're at school, but they think this is what's really cool. So I want to do this. Where I think in society now has changed from when I was young, young kids. The things we we glamorized wasn't these things. They were they were footballers. They were like uh, Starsky and Hutchins, things like that on TV. We wanted to do those things. Where now you look on social media, uh, YouTube on the TV, these things are pushed and young kids can have access to them and watch them and this is what they're going towards. I agree. Uh, but that's where that you've just just taken me to there's a particular kind of music I hear discussed a lot. And I just want your opinion on this then. And I feel like you know what it's gonna be and it's drill. Is there a correlation between this, the drill and you know, all of this that's going on? Go on, Dwayne. Oh. Of course, of course. And people, people will tell you it's not. But as anyone knows, music is very powerful. Music can mm-hmm. put you in the mood for certain things and put you out of the mood for certain things. So we know music is powerful. Now, when I was young, I listened I listen to gangster rap, but it wasn't the only thing I listened to. I listened yeah. to Jungle. I had my mum and my dad playing Lovers Rock, playing reggae. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just listen to one music and it was just, it was just music. Where When I were, other jobs I've had, these young people from morning to night, I listen to the same music with the same lyrics and it's getting them hyped up and sometimes they are take they are they are smoking weed putting themselves into this this exterior into this phase where they want to go out and do these crimes and the thing about it is well going on to another thing mm-hmm. if you're a music artist in today's day and age you can't rap about these things and not live it because social media somebody call you out now yeah. to rap about these things you know how to live this life yeah which, which is another thing that creates people going into gangs and stuff like that. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, do you think there's any correlation between all of this? Yeah, I I do. Can I just take us back a step, though? Um, Okay, that's fine. A point that Dwayne made as well, just about, um, I know that you weren't, but just the the word stereotyping in terms of who is at risk, who who could be um, preyed upon for this, because we're sort of edging into county lines discussion which is different to gangs you know there, mm-hmm. there is definitely a, a link and a correlation but not all yeah. people involved in county lines are are in a gang okay. but mm-hmm. I, think, I, I i agree that um people refer units do get focus but i, yeah. I agree also with Dwayne's point that ch- a child from any setting can be a potential prey and become a potential victim of this because what what some of these environments need particularly those um, moving children around in a very transient way as part of drug supply they need children who are ambitious they need children who are bold 
who are confident, who don't mind taking risks, all, all traits which, of course, are positive and could lead to very positive futures. Um, yeah. But, but they become preyed upon above and beyond the perhaps previous stereotypical child who was vulnerable because of their circumstances. And I think that's an important point just to make because any child in any setting can be groomed, recruited and lured into these settings because of the, the offer of rewards that yeah. go, go beyond risk. Um, so just making that quick point, but coming back to the, the music, um, yes, uh, that there has to be a, a link. I, again, agreeing with everything that, that Duane is saying on this. I think there's two, there's two types of music, and I, and I know a bit more about this than I did a year, a year ago because I've been working with a, a specialist in the Metropolitan Police who does a lot of work around gang music. Um, okay. you've, got, you've got drill music, which is a genre, um, as mm -hmm. described, and, and that genre is saturating young people's minds with, um, with thoughts and suggestions and ideas of, of gang life. But then yeah. even more aggressively and more destructively, you've got gang music, which I think is part of the point that Dwayne was making, that is all about living the life that you're singing about. So you've got some artists who are singing the genre of drill, and then you've got gangs that are making drill music who are actually singing about the, the, the lived experience of carrying guns, stabbing people, mm -hmm. celebrating the, the murders of young people in the community. And that's an altogether more aggressive component to this, this problem. So you've got one part that's a little bit softer, a little bit more mainstream, perhaps even appearing on Radio 1 and, and yeah. certainly all over Spotify and other platforms like that. <laughs> Um, which are normalising it, and then you've got the more aggressive element of it that's actually being very local in its context, thinking about what's happening in a postcode, in a borough, in a, in a gang setting, and that's then very provocative, and the intention of that very often is to celebrate the harm that they've caused against each other or provoke the next incident into happening. So actually, sorry, you've, you said so many great points there, and... Um, Actually, you kind of mentioned there's two kind of different sounds. Um, talking to that PCSO, he also mentioned the same thing uh, as you. And he said, drill has been a major trigger for gang violence as rival gangs will rap about people they've stabbed, shot or killed. In the police, we've seen gang members stabbed, shot and killed over lyrics used by opposing gangs. This is more the drill kind of gang music you see on YouTube and not so much the commercial drill like you were mentioning with like Spotify and stuff like that. So I think that's an important thing to take away. But also, I liked when you said that anyone, not that I like it, but I actually think it's an important point that any child can be put into a gang, can go into a gang. Um, and actually, I feel like we always mention, or I find it's always mentioned boys, but am I correct? Girls also have a chance in gangs? Can someone answer anyone else? I feel free <laughs> to pipe in. Yeah, I'll go first this time then, and then Dwayne can Dwayne can comment on on what I've said if he if he wants to. But, um, yeah, I mean it's it's one of my passions in the work that I'm doing around safeguarding and highlighting the issues that we're talking about tonight is that the the term girlfriend is is very often toxic. It's exploited. Mm. Um, it it involves as much trickery and grooming as as getting someone to supply drugs for you. Um, Far wow. too many, far too many girls enter into what they think is a relationship where they're only really being used for cover, 
in so much as making the situation look normal rather than criminal. Um, girl, you know, girl, girls are, and you know, I'm going to be quite explicit here with this, but not, you know, girls, girls' bodies are being used to internally secrete drugs in their lower body cavities around the country. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, and that's been happening for for some time. Um, mm. So yeah, of course. I mean, two things, two caveats. Of course, is that one. We, we shouldn't stereotype that all relationships within these settings are for that purpose. Yeah. But but um, mm-hmm. I am always very cynical when I hear about a scenario that involves a girlfriend, uh, not least because it concerns me that um, that the the exploitative side of it is as real to to young women and children as it is the stereotype that it's the boys that are drug dealers, but the girls are being lured into, coerced, trolled into drug dealing and also the carriage of drugs. And yeah. it's, it's, it's absolutely as serious a situation for girls as it is with boys. What we see less of, of course, um, I, mean, I say of course because of the stats around this, we see far fewer girls using knives and being stabbed. Sadly, of course, we, we know it has happened. So much of the youth violence tends to be boys on boys. But that's that's not to say the girls aren't being very badly exploited um, in, in the same circles, just in a, in a different way. Okay, <laughs> thank you, thank you, because you've given give me a bit more of an insight there, and I can imagine a lot of people listening are thinking the same thing. Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with what you were saying there. Uh, just I'm seeing on the on the ground over the last probably year, I have seen more girls getting involved in gangs. And not just on the exploitive way, but really being involved, like moving up in a hierarchy in gangs, selling drugs, and sometimes beating up other girls. And as we all know, girls are sometimes used to honey trap other gang members. So you can you can you just mention what does honey trap mean? So it's basically, obviously, you don't know what it's like, <laughs> girl. So you might get a girl who, like, pretends that she's interested in another guy. What asks to meet him? Asks to meet him somewhere, maybe like in a hotel, uh, house, and there is other gang members. He's, he's uh, they call them their ops, and then they might seriously hurt him or try and kill him. Those, those are the things that they use girls for. But yeah, girls are definitely getting more involved in gangs, and not just like I said in an exploitive way anymore. They are, they are really involved. But it's only over the last year I've seen it. I'm seeing it more. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much, guys, for giving us some more insight. Now, we're going to continue and talk a bit uh, more about county lines and delve a bit further into that. But this is a good time for me to actually mention um, Witherslack Group, the UK's uh, leading provider of SEN education and care, as well as presenting you with some of the TCR news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more.
If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Christian Institute website reports that MPs have backed a push to ensure that state schools in England uphold the legal requirement to teach religious education, which in most cases reflects the centrality of Christianity. MP Martin Vickers led a Westminster debate on the issue and drew attention to the National Association of Teachers of RE on the Department for Education 2021 School Workforce Census. The census revealed that one in five schools did not teach RE at all in year 11, despite being required to do so by law. An average of 10% of schools gave no time to RE in the years 7, 8 or 9. MP Nick Fletcher said that without an understanding of Christianity, it is not possible to understand the foundations of our institutions and laws or British culture. He went on to outline that other religions should be properly recognised in the preparation of RE syllabus, but that RE needs to recognise the particular place of Christianity in Great Britain. Mr Fletcher cited other demands placed on schools and failures by Ofsted to hold schools to account as the reason for letting RE slip. In response, Nick Gibb, a minister in the DfE, said all mainstream state-funded schools are required to teach RE. Schools that are not are acting unlawfully or are in breach of their funding agreement. He also added that collective worship was an important part of school life. Mr Gibb further reiterated the government's commitment to mandatory collective worship and RE, but also a parent's right to withdraw their children from the subject. Earlier this year, a judge ruled that exclusively Christian RE lessons in Northern Irish primary schools is unlawful after a legal challenge was launched. The decision was, is being appealed as it dismissed the parent's right to withdraw their child from these lessons. In Lincoln, the Investigate Learning team at Lincoln Castle have been recognised for the outstanding learning programme they offer schools, colleges and universities. The Sandford Award recognises museums, galleries and historic buildings that offer the very best programmes aligned with the national curriculum. This year, the castle has welcomed around 8,000 pupils and students teaching them about the medieval monument's history. The Sanford Awards lead assessor described the insight the programme offers as unique and compelling. The programme covers a series of locally and nationally significant history, ranging from the medieval world and Magna Carta to the treatment of prisoners in Victorian England, bringing it vividly to life in a way that resonates with learners. In a recent news report on Teachers Talk Radio, we covered the Global World Skills Competition which is taking place in various countries across the globe. This past week, the UK was hosting for the first time in over 10 years. Competitors have travelled from around the world to compete in aircraft maintenance and manufacturing in Cardiff and Wrexham. 
finalists had the opportunity to visit various places of interest in the local areas, including countryside, museums and an old coal mine. These young competitors have been training for the last three years to win medals and showing off their skills. The UK entrants feature homegrown Welsh talent with George Denman from Swansea telling FE Week how he hopes competing in world skills will be a huge boost to his career because it teaches key skills like coping under pressure, working as a team and time management. Finally, new research reveals the impact of accent on social mobility. The latest report from Accent Bias in Britain project, led by Queen Mary University London's Professor Debiana Sharma, reveals that more than a quarter of senior professionals from working class backgrounds have been singled out in the workplace for their accent. The project examines the impact that someone's accent has on their journey through education and into the workplace. Professor Sharma says the research shows that accent-based discrimination actively disadvantages certain groups at key points. This creates a negative cycle reinforcing anxiety and marginalisation. The report recommends that action should be taken to diversify the workplace to ensure a range of accents is prevalent in organisations. Further details of the report can be found on the Queen Mary University of London website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. Lovely. Thanks, Jo. And we're back. Hopefully, Dwayne and Tony are still with us. Hopefully. Still here. Yep. Great. Love it. So, welcome back. And if you were here earlier, we were delving into gangs. We're thinking about children, gangs, all of that. Now, I wanted to take us a bit further and I want us to now start to talk about county lines. Now, county lines is a big topic, especially I'd say this week, I was even listening to LBC Radio yesterday and there was a whole discussion on it. And it's it's a really sad thing actually that's going on and it's affecting it's affecting so many children. I especially chose this topic because on Twitter, years and years ago, there was, I'd say he was around nine, there was this nine-year-old boy and he was posted on a council's Twitter page and they said he was missing. And I remember posting it everywhere. Everyone I know was posting it. He had the cutest smile. It's like, oh my God, this child's missing. And he was found and I was so happy. Then a couple of months later, the same child was missing but then he was found. And then I'd say a year later, missing, and then he was found. And I'd even say last year, this child went missing. And actually the child was then in secondary school and then was found. And actually then I started to read the comments. And a lot of people started commenting, saying, well, he's definitely doing county lines. He's off to cunch, cunch, someone will correct me. And all of this stuff where I actually started to delve and I thought, Oh yeah, he's gone missing a lot. And that is a big indicator. That's a big sign. As a teacher, as an educator, we're taught already child's constantly going missing. What could that possibly mean, Tony? And this is where I'm going to let you delve in because I know you have a world of experience with this topic. Okay. Um, so I'll try and condense that into just a, a brief <laughs> intro. So yes. County Lines exists as a criminal business model that mm-hmm. has developed a very efficient way which involves exploitation and and transient use of the workforce of getting daily supplies of drugs into the hands of 300,000 dependent users every day across England and Wales. That's the first number to keep in mind. 
300,000 people need, not want, need the crack and heroin that, that County Lines from your business model supply. Mm. And this is a, it's basically evolved out of London. London was the sort of forerunner for this. And it's not a brand new phenomenon. Sadly, teenagers have been traveling around the country for, for many years, but it has become a dominant, saturated uh, business model over the last 10 or more years. And, and what it entails basically is people standing back while they employ others to take the risks for them and to, to do the work for them controlling a drug supply line with a dedicated telephone so that telephone number is in the community of dependent drug users it's the number that they that they message into or receive bulk messages out of to say that the crack and heroin is available and mm -hmm. it's a 24 hour round the clock opportunity for dependent drug users to access their drugs so that's the platform upon which it functions however um, out of london and and then birmingham and manchester liverpool Leeds, Bradford, Nottingham, that the key hubs for where the crack and the heroin are coming out of, you need workers. And it, mm -hmm. was, all, it was all very well, because this was a gang sort of issue in, in the early early days of, of it becoming dominant. It's all yeah. very well set, sending your workers out from your gang. But what happens when the counties become such rich pickings, when there's so much work to do? We can't have the entire gangs out of London, otherwise there'd, be, there'd have been no one left. Um, yeah. I was overseeing the 2015 annual national report on this within the National Crime Agency. And by the time we were writing the 2016 version and drafting that from insight from every police service around the country, we were already starting to see it changing. It's, it's been an ever-evolving situation. But those workforces quite simply needed to recruit other workers to fill the space in the marketplaces across the whole of England and Wales where 300,000 people want their crack and heroin. And mm -hmm. when, when you think about recruiting, this has got to where it is with the, the age demographic because young people were being encouraged, if not told, to recruit other workers. So a young person already working out of a gang setting is more likely to recruit another young person. And when I say young people, I'm talking up to people in their early 20s. Um, yeah who are out and about in the marketplace. It's not all children. It's not saturated with just children. Yeah. Um, but we've ended up now with thousands of workers all over England and Wales supplying this marketplace in a very efficient and effective way. But to achieve that, the perpetrators of, of you know, those that are owning the bulk quantities of drugs that are mm -hmm. control, controlling the activity and employing lieutenants or right-hand people to, to control those sub-markets around the country. Um, they are grooming, recruiting, rewarding, and that's the important word because they are rewarding their workers yeah. with the sort of money per week, up to £500 per week is commonly discussed. Um, wow. Many people in that workforce that are groomed, tricked or recruited, um, are not naturally gonna gonna see any other way at a young age of earning that sort of money. So their their capacity to assess risk is greatly skewed by the lure, the dangle of the carrot to, to earn lots of money by taking the risks that those of us that are professionals, Dwayne will know about the risks from all the work he's doing. Those of us that have been watching on and responding from a law enforcement point of view. We know what those risks are, but a 13, 14, 15-year-old and even younger, they're not going to have those 
mindsets that think about risk ahead of reward. And that's sadly what's making it so easy for the, the, the perpetrators, the criminals, um, to take advantage of young mindsets. It's, it's so sad because like you said, we, we know the risks. But they they really don't. So if I go to Dwayne County Lines, what do you know? What's going on? Is it a problem? Thank you. It is. It's an epidemic. It is crazy what's going on nowadays with the young people and County Lines. And like Tony said, is everyone seems to think is that you're going to see a lot of ten year olds running around. It's not necessarily, <laughs> necessarily like that. But the gangs are recruiting young people to go out of County Lines, and it is the ones, the the vulnerable ones, like you said. You give you give a a fourteen year old five hundred pound a week. Come on, that's a that's a lot of money for any. That's a lot of money for adult. It's a lot of money for me. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of them do come from uh, vulnerable backgrounds. Uh, mummy, daddy, or carers not they haven't got that kind of that kind of money. Well, some of them, some people just like nice stuff. They don't mm-hmm. have to come from a vulnerable background. Sometimes they could just want nice stuff. You can buy a lot as a fourteen year old with five hundred pound. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. It is. It is an epidemic that's going going on, getting young people. And I know you who you're talking about. That person I worked. I worked with him. Uh, oh, wow! For, small world. Small world. <laughs> and it, and it, and it is that thing. And uh, how we tackled it, I I I I ask myself that question all, all the time. But uh, I forgot. I, I forgot. I said cutting lines is a huge huge problem and uh, you see these kids like nowadays I don't know if you see them like uh, be like somebody between the age of 12 and 14 gone missing Your, my brain straight away thinks cat lines I don't, yeah. I don't even think missing. my mind is cat lines then they yeah. come back then they're gone again then they come back and I, I, I don't know to be honest with you yeah I, I yeah. love to see you know what do you think how we can stop it like because it's, it's a million dollar question oh Tony there's a question at you already yeah <laughs> And it is a million dollar question and and sadly you know it's i think there's there's, there's different layers of this one is spotting it because mm-hmm. early in, early intervention is so important and i'm going to be a little bit critical of, of the sort of the entire response now um, there's not enough money and there's not enough resources and that's not a cop out and my point with that is when i heard that there were going to be thousands of extra police officers that's great <laughs> but my heart sank a little bit because what i wanted to hear was there were going to be thousands of extra youth workers because what we've lost what we've definitely lost in society and in communities are the eyes and ears of adults who care who are professionally employed to work in communities and deal with situations before they get too bad and that that resource has dwindled to the point of non-existence so what we've ended up with is all the the partnerships and the collaborations that are set up to deal with this type of problem, not just county lines, but other adolescent drug markets like the supply of cannabis and the things that are that children are falling foul of and getting into a lot of trouble and harm from, um, mm-hmm. they, they are having to set their thresholds quite high when it comes to responding to risk because they haven't got the resources and the money to deal with the avalanche of lower level revelations. And what I mean by that is, quite typically, if a school went to local partners for assistance, and I'm not being critical of the attitude here, but the the response would be, well, that situation isn't too bad. You know, there's a lot of other children in a worse situation. We can't really intervene. 
what that yeah. actually what that actually means is and i'm not accusing the person of feeling this but what it actually means is we'll get involved when the child situation has deteriorated that's too late and, isn't it and that's too late so what we've become is we've become saturated with the problem to the point that we only deal with cure and we should be having far more resource focused on prevention and and i and i think Dwayne will will be seeing this himself you know in terms of the child that's selling a few wraps of cannabis um, at school now that's not to say per se they'll be involved with county lines but mm -hmm. everywhere i've worked in over 20 counties in the, in the last 12 months and probably all, every county over the last five years no one has ever disagreed with me that luring children into a county lines type environment often happens with their lower level involvement with cannabis but of course mm. cannabis has become so normalized in society and there's such a mixed message with it and some children don't even think it's illegal to have it yeah um, when, when a child is flagged up as being a local cannabis supplier instead of thinking right we need to break that cycle we need to take this seriously the school needs to to work with the you know dedicated safe selling leads needs to work with the pcso's and the local police to target that child and i don't mean to target them for a route to the criminal justice system I mean to target them for an opportunity to break that cycle. I don't want to see them in court, you know, when they first get arrested for cannabis. I want them to then be exposed to more professionals who can try and break that cycle. Because if that yeah. cycle isn't broken, very often the person they're selling cannabis for is someone with a direct access to county line scenarios. This is not propaganda. It really happens. Mm. Um, and that, that child is learning to be a drug dealer with cannabis and then before you know it, there's patterns of absence, then they go missing, and then they've gone country, they've gone country, they're out on a county line because mm -hmm. they've, learned, they've learned how to manage the risk of being a drug dealer at the lower level, at a localized market. Uh, and, but all of these things sort of conspire against the best outcome because sadly, there are too many children involved with not enough resources. And what there isn't is an, are enough professionals in the space that stops these things escalating. So I, I'm afraid to Dwayne's question, I can't answer how we stop county lines. Well, in fact, I could. We, we, we need to deal with addiction. You know, addiction needs to be prioritized and, and we need, need to shrink the market. That's a different discussion. But what we need to do, I think, with children is intervene early and have the justification and the authority to intervene early rather than wait until their situation is spiraled to the point that we then have to intervene. But that's easy for me to say because every <laughs> borough, every town, every city has a dwindling resource for the people that I'm talking about that we need to be involved. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I think, though, listening, you know, even youth workers, though, I think that's great building that relationship. Um, Dwayne, did you, were you ever a youth worker? Did you work closely with youth that's once upon a time? Before my cult role, I did work in a youth club in a, one, of yeah. the, one of the areas, one of the highly grand areas in Tottenham. And mm -hmm. it's spot on because when you are a youth worker, you are privy to information that others may not be and you're, you're actually on the ground. And to be fair, in the youth club, we did have gang members, but then we had young youth, but we had relationships with everybody. So sometimes you can see, you can actually see what was going on and could intervene. And like Tony says, prevention is always better than cure. So yeah. you might see that the gang member now targeting this young person. You can you could easily step in, and then you've usually got a relationship with that with the gang members, as bad as it sounds. But you can say, say, listen, you know what? Leave leave him alone, yeah. 
I know what you're doing. And if you've got that relationship with them and they respect you, sometimes they will back away. You know what I mean? But then you, you can also, like I said, talk to that young person's parent or their guardian. Just let them know this is what's going on. Be aware of it. I mean, it's, it is that intervention, being on the ground, being a youth worker, that you have information that others can't do, and you can you can you can move in places that others can't do sometimes. Yeah, that's see, and I think that's that great thing about having those relationships and youth workers and working with. Well, I don't know if youth clubs are still a thing, but once upon a time they were a thing. Whilst. I'd say, and I know we'll delve into it a bit deeper later, but teachers and educators, because I know they're going to be listening to this. And, you know, we're only with our class, what, nine to three, really. Um, you know, so sometimes I'm like, what can we do as educators? And I think, you know, I try to build a relationship with my children. I try to know what's going on. But I guess, you know, we, as part of keeping children safe in education, we have policies, you know, about like keeping an eye out for things, reporting things. And I I asked them, the PCSO, um, what can educators look out for? And I'll ask you in a bit, but what can educators look out for? And I was told by the PCSO, youths hanging around with older boys, youths wearing nice clothing or trainers not brought by parents as gangs will pay some use of, use of gifts as opposed to money. Youths gaining a sudden sense of confidence using aggression or violence towards other students or the opposite and youths becoming withdrawn disengaging from studying as they've been told it's a waste of time and they're not going to get a job educators can signpost support groups involve school liaison officers and educate parents as to what else to look out for and that was a reason why i wanted to do this today because i think it's really important for us to know what to look out for obviously we don't know everything and you know, someone could be withdrawn for many reasons. Someone might gain confidence for many reasons. It doesn't mean, oh gosh, pop county lines. But uh, these are things to think about. So I'm going to ask you both: What can educators look out for? And yeah, what can educators look out for, Tony? Okay, so I, so yeah, the, the list of things that you just explained, are, I think they they are relevant. Um, who is meeting that child after school? You know, if <laughs> they were. So winding the, the sort of the, the discussion back to the very beginning of what to look out for, yeah. I think, and this is and this is, might not sound too helpful, but if I'm a great believer that teachers are intuitive, they know their children. And you and you just said we're only with them from nine till three, but you know what? I, I think that's such an important time in the day, not least yeah. because children behave differently when they're with their peers and they behave differently in school to what they, they do at home or in care. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so important that teachers use their intuition because my main thing is to is to look out for change yeah. in a child's behaviour that isn't obviously accountable for. So if there's reports of problems in the home and, and, and things happening at home, then of course the, the change of behaviour could well correlate with that. Yeah. But but you know, the examples that you gave, yes, important, you know, wearing clothes that, that they unlikely to be able to afford in terms of family budgets mm-hmm. uh, but and, and also having smartphones that and, and two phones we, we you know we haven't touched with it that much yet but the the old nokia handsets what we call the burner phones the phones yeah. they have to have to be in touch with the, the county lines that they're working for can i ask is that still a thing because i remember years years ago you know they'd have a two phones but it'd be that phone like an old is it still an old-fashioned phone of some sort it's still a thing thing at the moment and i know that Mm. in supermarkets you can get smartphones quite cheap but the main reason it's still a thing is because 
actually those phones are there to be disposed of should there be any sort of um, disruption from, from police mm. predominantly. Um, mm. so the, cheap, the cheaper the phone, the better. So it is still a thing. Um, but for me, it's very much about looking out for patterns of behavior because the, the school timetable coincides perfectly with the high de daily demand for heroin. So you've got crack and heroin sold together to, to many of the users. But mm -hmm. people, wake, people wake up dependent on heroin and a county line or local drug line needs to be out there on the street competing for that marketplace when the marketplace is at its peak demand. Now that's that's bef that's in the build up to school time. So yes. children children can function without going missing and work on a localized drug supply line if they're not missing and out in another county. Um, so they could be working for an hour before they come into school on a local drug supply line. The second part of the day where dependence and demand is high, I mean, these county lines markets make it available all day long, but the second time is mid to late afternoon when a child is, when a child is coming out of school. Yes. Uh, bearing in mind the pressure that's on a child not to be robbed, to consolidate the cash back to the person they're working for, to make sure they've received their reload supply of the drugs that are coming in to keep them competitive on the street. Um, the potential for having to carry a knife, that the, the heightened potential if they're involved in supplying Class A drugs because of not least the fear of being robbed. All of that is anxiety provoking. Even in the most confident child, it's likely to create some sort of reaction. So my message to teachers is always look out for those, you know, the beginning of the day, the end of the day, is the child you're worried about behaving differently, acting differently? Are they anxious about what they've just done, about at the end of the day, what they're going to do? And then overlay that, obviously, with the other trappings of extra wealth that come with it, the potential for injuries. I've said this to PE teachers, um, not least. Mm -hmm. And I know, obviously, adolescents go through that phase of not wanting to, to, to undress or change in front of their peer groups. It's a natural, I guess, puberty um, implication. But yeah. what, what about the child that was really confident and now doesn't want to take their T-shirt off? What bruises, mm. what bruises or wounds are they potentially hiding? I had a phone call from someone who worked in a crew uh, about four years ago um, to relay that they'd been at a workshop, but just to tell me about a situation. Their child had not come back at lunchtime. They phoned the mother. The mother said, no, he's come home. He's got a really bad headache. He's gone to bed. The, the teacher said, I'm not happy. He, it's not that you need to check on him. The mum said, no, he's okay. He was bleeding from a buttock stab wound because he'd been punished at lunch oh. for losing some drugs. And, and buttock stab wounds, mm. shallow blade wounds into the buttock have become a common punishment um, within the county lines business model oh. in terms of the, the aggression of it. You know, so wow. teachers for me are the eyes and ears. And, and I know it's a challenging job without <laughs> all of this, without all of this. <laughs> I go into schools and I see how challenging it is. But yeah, at the same time, you are really well placed to just use your intuition to sense that something's wrong. And that's the point early to then seek help of other partners within, you know, within the setting um, to, to, to run your concerns past up to the police or the local authority or the multi-agency safeguarding hub and, and just express those concerns early rather than wait six months and monitor it quietly in the school because you just don't know what other information the other partners may hold yeah 
yeah and connecting it together and we could work that all out whilst Absolutely. Uh, you raise a good point that actually we are <laughs> do you know we see the children sometimes more than their parents sometimes yep. do you know what i mean yep. and actually my kids i know them so well like i don't even have to look at them i know who's talking i know their handwriting sometimes they'll do a vote and you know i'll be like it's anonymous don't put your name on it but i know all their handwriting because i know them that well um so actually you're right in a way. Um, but I do know that at the moment, some teachers feel very stressed. They're like, you know, we have so much to do. Um, I remember being on Twitter and uh, for a show I did, must have been a few months ago, about diabetes. I remember commenting on, you know, what we need to look out for with that and what we should do as teachers. And someone commented saying, as teachers, we do enough. We're not social workers and we're not um, nurses and we're not this. And in my head, but I thought, but we kind of are all of these things. When we take on this job, we notice things. I notice something. Am I just going to keep it to myself? No, I think it's really important for me to, and for all the teachers who are listening and educators to bear that in mind that, you know, it's really important. Any information we really do need to share and just keep track of our children. So I take it back to Dwayne. What do you think that educators can look out for? Uh, I think you guys both basically covered things but <laughs> sorry it's the little things that are nice new clothes or nice trainers uh a, a change a change in uh their personality sometimes sometimes it could be them being withdrawn sometimes it could be somebody that was really quiet before now they've got a lot of confidence you know, I think where did that confidence come from maybe they've got someone behind it that makes them feel that they can take on the world and be a bit more aggressive it's, it's, it's just little things like that like Tony said, it's just usually your intuition is saying, okay, you know what, something, something's not right here. Like, where, where are you going? Like, you might look at it and then all of a sudden you see somebody who's a bit older than them coming to pick them up in a fancy car. Or it's true. Just, just, just little things. It's just little subtle things to look out for. It's really true. Thank you. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, yeah go on. Sorry. I'll, no, please I'll, do. I'll, I'll throw in a question. I'll use the phrase sort of roller coaster for some of the children because I, I think. I don't know if you see this, but sometimes they'll be on the up because, as you've said, so they've been given the confidence, they're earning money, they, they've got status, and then something will go wrong and then they're on the down. And I think that's something else to keep mindful of is the child that roller coasters through life who one week is really confident, the next week feels, you know, feels really sort of negative and down. I don't know if that's something that you recognise in your, some of your young people. That, to me, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's that is definitely obviously with young people, it's hard to tell because their hormones yeah. are all over. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it can be that that real confident something goes wrong, and then you know I mean I talk about. To be honest with you, I kind of get them on the spectrum where they're already evolving gangs, so there's nothing, to, there's no guesswork. Yeah, so sure. They already evolved, so I already know what they're doing. But every, in, in my previous jobs, yeah, there is something to look out for. Where, they are up and they are down. You think that sounds not right. He's, he's, he's getting involved. He's about to get down. So, yeah, those are the things we've got for. Thank you. So this is really interesting because you guys have mentioned a range of ages as well within, uh, you know, when we're talking about gangs, when we've been talking about county lines, just a range of ages. And it just makes me 
you know, I'm going to take a step back to the age of criminal responsibility because what's great about Teachers Talk Radio is that we have people from all over the world who listen. So for those of you who don't know, the age of criminal responsibility in England, Wales and Northern Ireland is 10 years old. Uh, please stop me if I'm wrong, any of you. <laughs> um, and the age of criminal responsibility in Scotland is 12 years old. And so in England and Wales, children between 10 and 17 can be arrested and taken to court if they commit a crime. They're treated differently from adults because the case, I believe, is dealt with by youth courts. Um, They can be given different sentences. And if given a custodial sentence, they'll be sent to a special secure centre for young people, not actually adult prison. And actually in England and Wales, children under 10 cannot um, be charged with committing a criminal offence. However, they can be given a local child curfew, child safety orders, and children under 10 who break the law regularly can sometimes be taken into care or their parents could be held responsible, uh, which is uh, really interesting because, you know, as I said, the PCO said they've been catching eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds committing crimes at the moment. And it just made me think that's also another easy thing for, um, you know, these grooming gangs, really, these child criminal child exploitation gangs to be doing getting young children because I know we're saying at age of ranges but also I am also thinking we do need to look out sometimes I just I know some primary school teachers are like oh too young and I'm like no no be any of these children they are very there's an easy option with some of these young young children so um sorry I don't know if anyone wants to say anything about the age of criminal responsibility (laughs) sorry sorry I took a little break from there no that's fine. <laughs> so I'm just going to take it back, though, to county lines. And actually, when I asked this PCO, what is county lines and is it a problem? He said, in summary, and it's summarising what you've all said, a drugs network covering multiple cities and towns where generally youths are sent to places to cuckoo vulnerable people's addresses and distribute drugs. Distribute, distribute, I can't say that word, drugs locally from them. So find a drug addict with a council flat and offer him free drugs to use it, um, sell drugs from it, they get in and if the owner wants out, they're often met with violence, abuse, etc. And a gang can there be there and distribute, distribute drugs much wider than their home turf. Tony, have you heard of this term, cuckooing? Cuckoo? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is. It's it's from the, the phrase of you know a cuckoo ousting another bird from its nest, basically. Mm-hmm. The, but yeah, I mean that's that's a, a good generalisation. I mean, it's uh, we've seen Airbnbs being used. We've seen cheap and independent um, hotel chains being used. So it's not all about finding a, a dependent drug user. Um, we've seen people with alcohol issues um, exploited. We've even we've seen family members, grandparents, being taken advantage of for this purpose to facilitate someone staying at their address. So wow. I think it's important it could be family as well. Then sorry, yeah, I was just ab- absolutely no. It, it does happen with family. It's I mean I've, I've I've done I did quite a lot of work in Essex around um, the whole cuckooing issue and and realistically anyone whose vulnerability can be exploited. And I think when you talk about vulnerability, you know, a grandmother not believing that her 13-year-old grandson could be involved in anything bad, so therefore letting two of his friends um, use her house, yeah. that's, that's creating a vulnerability in, in that old person to take advantage of. So the vulnerability might not exist until the opportunity arises. Uh, but yeah, what we end up with 
so this is only really relevant to children who are generally or children and young adults who are missing because when they're mm. missing from home they're out on the road for for long periods of time for for weeks sometimes months uh, and and because this network reloads itself so you could be a worker in a county line in hertfordshire uh, yeah. missing, missing from south london um but um, the drugs will often be bought to you. You haven't got to keep going backwards and forwards to London to collect them. There'll be someone else who's paid to, to do the delivery drop-offs to the, the various workers around the market. And, and those people that are selling the drugs do need somewhere to live. And as your PCSO said, one of the, mm -hmm. benefits, one of the benefits of cuckooing with someone who is a dependent user is you have access to their peer group and their peer group are customers and customers raise money and that keeps the county line efficient and effective. So children, sadly, can end up sleeping in um, relatively run-down properties, or in fact, completely run-down properties with dependent drug users. They can end yeah. up sleeping with one eye open, effectively, and possibly even a hand on a knife under a pillow for fear of being robbed of the drugs or the cash that they've got. Gosh. They, they run the risk every day because it's called going out onto the spot so they're not on the spot on the street where the, the used expect them to be obviously they, they're going to go lose custom but to get to that place they could be robbed because that happens throughout the day and everyone knows they're going to be there at certain times and um, so yeah. it's a high, highly exploited and this is the problem where you've got a child who's fixated on the reward of 500 pounds a week or let's even call it 300 300 yeah. pounds a week to 500 they're fixated on that and they but equally also they are schooled and coerced and um, basically tricked into also believing that there is no there is no alternative i.e if you leave you're going to be punished if you lose the drugs then you're going to be in debt to us and have to work for free um, if you try and walk away we'll come and attack your siblings or petrol bomb your mum's car on the driveway these things are real they do happen you have also got and this is where i often get meet quite a lot of opposition um mm -hmm. you have got children who aren't suffering those overt exploitations they're all being exploited because they're children being used by yeah. adults to supply drugs definitely they're not, they're not experiencing the overt exploit exploitation and therefore they do not and will not believe they're being exploited when any professional tries to have that discussion with them, and that that makes it that makes it challenging because how do you actually rescue someone who each time they return to home picks the phone up and invites themselves back onto a county line because the bad things haven't happened to them yet? So yeah, not every I mean every child is being exploited by it. Every child yeah. involved is at risk of it. But not every child either feels the exploitation or is operating in fear. And that, that makes it challenging in the response because some children absolutely, well, in fact, no, all children need re rescuing from it, but some of them want it to happen and others simply don't. And, and that does make it complex. Whether that sounds horrible and perverse or not, it does make it complex. Wow. No, there's a lot to think about. And actually, that really does make it complex. I wish you could see my face because I was like, oh, yeah, wow. What do we what do we do about that? And I'm going to come to Dwayne, but I'm also going to say to everyone who's listening and you're probably listening on a streaming platform, please feel free to tweet me at S-E-H-Miss if 
you want to also tweet at TT Radio 2022. We'd appreciate hearing your views, what you've been thinking. Please use the hashtag, hashtag TT Radio. Dwayne, if I take it to you, and just with what Tony was saying, <laughs> just gonna, is there anything you can add on? Uh, yeah, uh, oh, Tony's fantastic because he covers everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Dwayne. You, you, you could also say I just talk too much. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. But, yeah, but this going on from that. Obviously, knock on, I'll, I'll talk about the knock on effect of the county line. So, yeah. you're looking at it from the young person's point of view, but then there's the family point of view. Where obviously, mm-hmm. I'll talk about some of the cases I've had where the young people, they've been referred. And now they want to get out of the gangs because they're scared. So now, how do you keep them in the same area? So now we ha- now we have to move a whole family. So just imagine yes. you're a family that maybe you own you own not as you own the house and you're still paying the mortgage. Now mm-hmm. we have to move you. What do you do now? You now you have to find somewhere to sell your house or rent it out, and we might move you to somewhere that's not even as nice as where you live. Like there's, there's there's the whole family aspect that goes into this. So sometimes you're not just dealing with the young people. You've got to think about the whole family aspect and the, and the knock-on effect it has on them. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult one. And going back to what Tony said about young people not even realizing that they're getting exploited, that is that is such a big thing where nothing's bad happen. Nothing's bad happened to you, and you're getting between three hundred and five hundred pounds a week. You're gonna think, hey, this was the problem. I'm, I'm yeah. cool with you don't even, you don't even realize that you're actually being exploited until mm. that bad thing actually happens to you. So yeah, but then it's too late. So that's no, you've raised a good point. And actually, what you raised is what I had written down as well. Where it made me think of um, one of the children I taught years and years ago, and then years later I found out that he kept on going missing, and then he was actually involved in some kind of county lines, but his parents were struggling. They were really struggling to get get him back. And he was worried about what was going to happen to his family. He kept worrying about that because he kept saying the gang was going to come after his family. They were going to come after him. And in the end, the boy was moved to a different country. And then I was listening to LBC today. Was it today or yesterday? I was listening at some point anyway. And someone said something similar. It was a family. They found out what was going on with their son and he was involved in county, county lines. They paid um, this child criminal exploitation group off, you know, some money. I think they wanted like 30 grand. They wanted a lot of money and this family paid them and then they still continued. Where in the end, um, they had to move but also they sent their child away to a different country. Now, I don't know how common that is, but also not everyone has the money <laughs> to be sending their children off to different countries to be moving. Um, so, and even Dwayne, when you just spoke about that and moving, you know, who helps everyone to move? Like, is that, are they helped to move? I don't know if you can go through this, but are people helped to move? Cause that's a big thing. Like, especially if someone's listening right now and a parent, or a teacher feels like there's a similar situation. Is there help? Or is it something they have to do on their own, really? There is, there is groups that support you. There is a local authority that will help you. This is where there are different organisations. There's obviously us with the IGU, where if you've made a referral to us and then that's something that needs to happen, though it is a long and hard process to get somebody, especially a family, moved. 
And mm. sometimes you get people like they they move somewhere and it's not even as nice as where they live, like I said before, and they just refuse it, flat refuse it because you might have one child that's doing that doing that, but you might have three other children that are fine. So the whole family has to now move because of one one child and you might have had a three bedroom house for your family, now they've given you a two bedroom. So it's it's not a case where oh you you've got a free bedroom, we're gonna give you a free bedroom. Yeah. Whatever whatever the local authority have, you give them a duty a duty or uh to house them a duty of care to house them, but it's not necessarily you're gonna get what you want. And it's it is a difficult situation and like I said there is groups that do do support you but it's it's hard to get a move and you're not necessarily gonna get a move to where you want. Like if it's say a, a young man and his mum, it's a bit easier to move two people rather than up with a whole family. Because then you've got to think about, yeah. you got to think about schooling for the rest of the kids. You've got to think about work, work for the for the parents, all parents or the guardian. There's so many different moving pieces to, to moving moving a family. So true. It's so true. And uh, honestly, it, this conversation has been great because it's really made me think. And made me think as an educator. And I really hope some people are listening here because. Actually, we, we're so big on, you come into school, you need to do this. Oh no, so-and-so was late. Oh, they're behind with this. When actually, these children, you don't even know what they're facing. You don't even know what they're going through. The fact that they're at school, um, you know, people try to recruit them when they're outside of school. Friends, probably, I can imagine there's a thing where, you know, someone's in a gang or they're being recruited. Oh, tell your friend. So there's a lot going on. So actually you guys have been amazing, Dwayne and Tony, like absolutely amazing. And I'm just seeing that time is running away with us because there's so much more, but I know we said we could discuss. Um, so I'm going to ask you both to just leave us with anything that you think is really important that maybe we haven't touched on or that you just want to reiterate that, you know, you think people should know about, understand and please feel free to also um mention anything that you think is useful um or a company that's useful because i think this is a really important topic and i'm gonna go to tony and how can you be um how can we get through to you as well because i know that tony and Dwayne, you have a wealth of knowledge as well so over to you tony first yeah i mean for me i think it's there's several things that are always important with this a child doesn't have to be missing to be at risk and, and what I mean by that is patterns of absence are really important to understand because absence often leads up to missing episodes. So that's our opportunity to intervene earlier and, and break the cycle. Uh, mm -hmm. I think don't, don't hold the risk and hold the worry alone. I think in the education sector in particular, there's always that concern of, well, I think it's a problem, but I don't think anyone else will. So maybe I won't tell anyone actually your piece of information could be the catalyst that really springs other agencies into into action uh, keep focused on child change as i said earlier on you know changes in behavior that we can't account for and, and that we're concerned about and i think i mean i, I only know how the cpoms system works um, yes uh, yeah but logging patterns of behavior is so important because what happens then when you realize that the thing you're concerned about happens every wednesday or every thursday afternoon or every tuesday thursday and friday lunch times yeah you'll only, you'll only know that if you log that because hindsight is an impossible thing if you haven't got an audit, <laughs> audit trail for it so those are the things that 
for me are, are really important is making sure you log the patterns that you're concerned about. Um, I mean, I, I'm really passionate about the work I do in, in schools. I, if anyone wants to talk to me about it, and I'm not going to be, you know, commercial about this, Shanique, well, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to talk, you know, that I've proven that for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm accessible on via Twitter and LinkedIn in my, my full name. Um, and that's probably the best way for anyone to, to contact me if they, they need me via this. Um, okay, how could, can you spell out your name, Tony? Just so anyone yeah, can. It's Tony, Tony Saggers, S-A, Sierra Alpha, hello, ex-police. Uh, <laughs> yeah. G-G-E-R-F, Tony Saggers on LinkedIn or on uh, on Twitter. Um, and I'm more than happy to discuss the, the work I'm doing in education. And if it helps someone, it does. And, it, and if it's just a chat, then chatting's for free. So that that's my position on that. More than happy to talk to anyone about it. Oh, thank you so much, Tony. And if I go over to Dwayne, any last comments? Uh, last comments I will say uh, is basically, I think, having be, lived in Tottenham all my life, I think all these things are community-based. And I think we've lost, in, in the bubbles, we lost that sense, sense of community. And with that, that's like things like youth clubs, all different activities going on. These things are, there's been a breakdown in community which has allowed these gangs up and well bigger if we i don't know how we can maybe open up more youth clubs get these things going again so we have kids have more to do after school after school a lot of kids don't have nothing to do so all i say with young people anybody who's got kids and i find out they're worried about kids try and get your kids into community activity that's going on like you can go and go to your lo your local websites and see what activities are going on because there is there is things going on but people are not aware of it there's football clubs there's the arts, there's basketball, there's all the swimming, all these little things. Getting kids active, not just sort of, not just doing anything. And it all, like, what is it, what is it? The devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah, yeah. Kids, kids are doing things that maybe they're less likely to maybe get involved, get involved in gangs. But uh, yeah, if anybody wants to contact me, you can contact me. Yeah. My name is uh, D-W-A-Y-N-E minus M-I-N-R-S at haringay.gov.uk. Wow, thank you so much, guys. And I think I'm just, I'm just going to add on to, well, thank you as well to the PCSO who gave some information. And I think I'm just going to end with what he kind of said about gangs. And when I asked, you know, what are the lives like for some of these children in these gangs? And he was saying, you know, they're exploited, almost brainwashed to feel that they have no chance to succeed in life. So being in a gang is their only chance to get money, provide for their families and protect themselves. I'll see some of them. They're taught the world rejects them. And so they feel lonely as they get isolated from the world and start to learn their fellow gang members only look after themselves and care about themselves. I've seen time and time again when a rival gang comes and everyone runs and leaves people behind to get stabbed or shot. There's no loyalty or trust. And most gang members don't even know the real names of their fellow gang members. So this makes me, I'm just talking to you educators right now, where actually these children, we get them in our class. They... I think it's so important to build those relationships with the children in our class and hold on to those relationships. Like Dwayne said, those relationships are important. And like Tony said, keeping track of what's going on. If something's out of place, see pumming it, whatever you use in your school to safeguard, but logging it in, keeping track of these children because we've got quite a big responsibility. Um, and actually some of these children probably are not feeling love. Some are but there might not be some that's feeling that love and we need to show them and show them the opportunity, show them what's out there. Um, so 
honestly, I'm very grateful to have you. I've had I've had you speak, Dwayne and Tony. You've given up your time on a Sunday night. I really do appreciate, it. and I know loads of people will be listening back to this. Um, so it's been very useful. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so a lot of you know I like to end my show in a specific way, and I like to know <laughs> my guest's favourite fictional teachers. Uh, we've had quite the range over the last couple of months, a real range from Miss Honey to, oh, I can't remember even all their names, but we've, we've had a lot of Harry Potter related ones as well. So um, I'm going to go straight to you guys. So Dwayne, I'm going to start off with you, if that's okay. okay. <laughs> Who's your favourite fictional teacher? <laughs> my teacher you're, you're probably way too young to know this one. And I think okay. it might be a little bit too old, but I used to love Grange Hill when I was younger. And I used to love okay. a teacher called Mr. Bonson. He was um, a very a very strict teacher, and he used to remind me of one of my my uh, school teachers at school. So he was my favorite teacher, fictional teacher on TV. Okay, and he reminded you of one of your favorite teachers. I love that. I love that. I mean, I do know Grange Hill, but Grange Hill kept updating. Like by the time I watched it, I don't know if it was the I same. Was, I was one, of, one of the Ziggy years, like way, <laughs> way, way back, way back, way back. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not too old. I do remember it well. I remember, and I remember <laughs> that. And I remember that. I remember that teacher. You remember it once, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and let's go over to you, Tony. Okay, just just in case I don't get a chance, I just want to say thanks to Dwayne. It's been great to to share the platform with you. So I really appreciate that. Um, it's been good. I, I'm I'm glad that from very different positions, we we sort of come to to sort of similar views on some of the key things. So that's great. I, I'm glad. So I, I've been thinking about this, and <laughs> mine has to, mine has to be Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. Okay. And, and I know that he's preparing a child for a fight. Ultimately, so that's <laughs> possibly a little bit inappropriate in the context of what we're talking about tonight. But, <laughs> but for me, a great teacher teaches you to realise yourself when you've learnt the lesson. Mm-hmm. So, and I think Mr. Miyagi used to do that. You know, he would put the he'd put the groundwork in, but the child would learn the lesson themselves because of the great work of the teacher. So he was the one that eventually sprung to mind when I'd given it some thought as to um, a fictional teacher that that I was impressed by. No, I like that. I like that. I do like that. She, someone once said that one as well. So it's quite pop. It's quite a popular one actually, um, and it's different. So. I appreciate um, both of your answers. Uh, I can add it to our favourite fictional teachers' wall of fame. Pardon? Sorry, I just wanted to uh, say, Tony, well, thank you. You've been great to listen to, like, very, very insightful. I've learned a lot from you today, so I just want to say thank you, and thank you, Shanika, for having me as well. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Honestly, it's so great. I hope to be able to work with you guys again, Um, and I hope people do get in touch with you guys, because... It's, you've given me a wealth of knowledge actually now. Now I feel like I can go away and take, you know, take my knowledge elsewhere to teach others. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. Like I said, feel free to tweet me at SEHMiss. Um, tweet us at Teachers Talk Radio at TT Radio 2022. Use the hashtag TT Radio. There are around like five shows every day um we have shows on twitter uh we have shows on podbean so please there's a show for every 
kind of topic you're interested in. So do have a little look. I'll be back with you on the first Sunday of next month. Uh, so I look forward to talking to you all then. Have a great evening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Lovely. Well, this place. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.